If you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount um, as a church. And Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew's, uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever preached. And uh, it's Jesus's Kingdom of God sermon. It's kind of um, the countercultural perspective of a disciple to our fallen world, how to follow Jesus in a fallen world, what, what he instructs uh, his disciples in, in terms of our transformation and everything like that. And so we come to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be starting in verse 1. And uh, let me read uh, really quick just the first five verses of this chapter, and, uh, and that'll kind of get us started. But Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, it says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Amen. Amen. Today, I would like to talk to you about evicting criticism from our heart. The, the big idea today is don't be so critical. Stop, Jesus is saying, being so critical. How relevant is this? How important? Stop. Do not be so critical. When your life is ruled by criticism, it ruins the whole tone and tenor and relationship of your life. Don't be so critical, Jesus is saying. This is hard for us, is it not? <laughs> I know it's hard for me. You know, when I first read that, I think probably if I were preaching this sermon about 15 years ago, I'd be like, man, I don't struggle with this at all because I'm like, I feel like I'm the least critical person in the world. Can I get a hallelujah? I mean, I just feel like I'm an easygoing guy. I'm not a perfectionist. I just want to have a good time. I want everybody around me to be happy. I'm not like really strict with everybody. I'm not strict with my family or my kids. I mean, I'm just like, I am like, let's just all have a good time. But then I realized that I am hypercritical of hypercritical people. Anybody with me? I'm like, I'm like, why are you so critical? Why are you so critical? I'm not critical. You're critical. Why are you being hypercritical? You perfectionist. Stop being perfectionist. I need you to perfectly not be a perfectionist. Can I get a hallelujah? See, it's a human problem. Criticism is a human problem. It's rooted in pride. Somewhere in your life, you need to hear Jesus say to you today, don't be so critical. So don't elbow your spouse. Don't say, man, I hope she's hearing this. Woo, Lord, thank you for talking to my wife. Or wives, don't say, I hope my husband's hearing this. No, 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 no. 
You need to hear this. Don't be so critical. I know you people are watching the news all the time and the headlines, and it's all critical about our politicians, whether Democrats or Republicans, and you join the side and you get on and you get all worked up and your dander gets worked up. And we live in a culture filled with this kind of emotional, spiritual, toxic pollution of criticism. And you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, my disciples don't do that. We don't go down that road. We don't drink that poison. We don't spread that disease. We don't let that ruin our marriages. We don't let that ruin our parenting. We don't let that ruin our churches. Don't be so critical. It will set you free if you can hear Jesus say to your heart, don't be so critical. It'll make your life so much better. It'll make driving in your car so much better when you don't have to talk to everybody that you hate all the time to yourself. It'll make you feel so much better when somebody drives you nuts for three minutes, but that three minutes of driving you crazy won't ruin the rest of your day. Can I get an amen? Don't be so critical. Stop it. Stop gossiping. About the people that drive you crazy. I heard a great definition of gossip the other day. It's talking to somebody about somebody else, and you're talking to somebody who can't do anything about it. Don't be so critical. Now, this will make your life so much better, but can I tell you, as a Christian, we have to walk through what saves us, what makes us right with God. Okay, can I do that real quick with you? What makes us right with God? It's not our own works. We don't go to heaven because of our morality. We don't go to heaven because of our own righteousness. We don't go to heaven because we've earned the right to heaven. You know how we go to heaven? We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith alone. Now imagine that. That means that the righteousness you have by faith is not your righteousness. That means that you are right with the holy God because Jesus took your place on the cross. And by faith, he gives you his righteousness. You are clothed with his righteousness. That means that you, you and I as Christians have no right to go out there and say, I own righteousness and therefore I will judge you by righteousness. No, I, I've received a righteousness that's not my own. I am made right with the judge of the universe because he has justified me and made me right in Jesus Christ. And what we are ultimately called to do is to say to each other and to say to ourselves, my satisfaction comes and my joy comes in the holiness of God, not the happiness of life. That God is sufficient for me. That I'm reconciled to my creator. I am going to heaven. I have eternal life. And therefore, I don't need you to be perfect. Because I have the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, since I know I couldn't save myself or change myself, but Jesus saved me, I don't have to feel like I have to change you. In fact, I can't change you. Can I get an amen? And you can't change me. I am completely dependent upon the grace and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is calling us to walk in that gospel so that when we look out at other people, they aren't projects. When we look out at other people, we don't say, hey, I've got a system of condemnation that I think might change your life. That system of human condemnation changes no one. No one. 
The only thing that changes people in a real, eternal, lasting way is being covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and getting the Holy Spirit in your heart. And if you don't have God in your life and you haven't been reconciled to God, there is no human program that will change you. You need God to come into your life. You need to be born again. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to be forgiven like everybody else who's saved. And that will change your life. And by the way, when we believe in that gospel, then when we go out into that world, we do want people to be changed. But we know it's not going to come through our condemnation. It's going to come through Jesus. Jesus is saying, don't be so critical. Let's look at this really quick. The first thing he says about not being so critical is in verse 1. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Judge not. Now, we know he can't be saying that we aren't supposed to go out there and we, we can't be discerning of other people's actions. That somehow we're not supposed to evaluate whether somebody's doing right things or wrong things. We know he can't be saying that because later on he talks about dogs and pigs and helping our brother take their speck out. We know he's not telling us to go out and to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter what anybody does. And I'm not supposed to teach my kids what's right and wrong. And we're not supposed to evaluate kind of the fruit of people's eyes. We know he can't be saying that. So he must be saying something different. And what he's saying is he's talking about a word, judge. Everybody say judge. The idea of judge is a courtroom and a final judgment on people's lives. What Jesus is really saying is stop taking the place of God in final judgment. Stop condemning people to the final hell of life because nothing can change them. Stop looking at people and saying, man, they are separated from God. I hope that they get what they deserve. I hope I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out, I'm going to wear my robe, I'm going to take my gavel, and I'm going to declare a final condemnation on that, on that person's life. Jesus is saying, don't be God. God is a good judge, Amen. He can take care of final judgments. He can take care of who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. I promise you, he is competent for judgment. In fact, it's a test of our faith. When you and I are hypercritical, what we are ultimately saying is that we're ultimately saying that God's not in control. We're ultimately saying that God can't do his job. In fact, a hypercritical person is a practical atheist. A hyper, I'll say that again, a hypercritical person is a practical atheist because in the moment that we are harboring all kinds of, of bitterness and resentment and anger and judgment and we're, we're, you know, we're focused on our enemies and we're never focused on our friends, we're focused on the negative things and never focused on the blessings that God gives to us and we're just walking around with a critical heart. I mean, I'm not trying to elbow, I'm not trying to make you feel bad today because I, I struggle with this too, but listen to me. In those moments, we are practical atheists. And what Jesus is saying is, bow the knee to the judge. Give it up. Say to God, God, you're going to take care of that person. I'm going to go enjoy the day you've given to me because you're in control. You're the final judge. But let me go even deeper because John Stott in his commentary, great commentary, by the way, by John Stott on the Sermon on the Mount, he says that this language 
when you really break down the language of verse 1, judge not, he's talking about censoriousness. And what censoriousness is, is when you constantly, like you live to judge other people. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but you wake up and you can't wait to go judge everybody. You live with a censorious heart. You wake up and you're like, I, I'm going to get out of bed and put on my robe, and I cannot wait to find somebody today who is wrong. I can't wait to prove somebody wrong today. And there are people, even here in our church or people in our culture, they wake up every day and they have a censorious heart. They live for criticism. They feed off of it. They live to play the role of the judge. Their whole life is sitting on a bench. And, and Jesus is telling us, you cannot wake up and just wake up with this censorious heart and go out ready to find fault with people. You know what we're called to do? We're called to wake up with the robes of righteousness and grace covered in us. And we're called to go out there and say, who can I forgive today? I'm going to be ready to forgive even before I'm offended. Because I am waking up as a forgiven child of God. I am a forgiven child. Beloved, I am a sinner saved by grace. That's who I am. There's never a day that I wake up and I've earned righteousness. I wake up every day in need of forgiveness. I wake up every day and I'm called to confess my sins. And my God is so good to me. How good is our God? He forgives us even before we ask for it. And when we do ask, us, ask him for it, he begins to transform our life. God doesn't live to judge me. God lives to change my life. And we're called to redo in the world that forgiveness. We're called to wake up and say, I can't wait to forgive somebody today because I'm in debt to the gospel. If I've been so greatly forgiven, I'm in debt to sinners. I'm in debt to the offender. Please offend me after the sermon. Be really critical of my sermon afterwards. I can't wait to forgive because I've been so loved by God. And when you have been loved, you love other people. You love your kids. You love your wives. You love your husbands. You love your pastor. Hallelujah. Especially when they're not perfect. Great, amen, Pastor Josh is really jacked up. This is great. Judge not. Don't be so critical. We just have to walk through the gospel. We have to walk through this idea. He's saying, if, if you begin to judge, if you have a, a heart that just refuses to let go of criticism, be careful. Because the measure you judge with, you want to be a judge. You want to sit on that bench for the rest of your life. God's going to take the measure you're dishing out. God's going to take the measure you're dishing out. And one day, one day, you'll be found. One day, all the public things that you criticize in everybody else, what if your private things suddenly became public? Oh. What if all the things that you focus on, oh, I can't believe they do that. I just can't believe that they're like that. I can't believe they make that decision. And all the while you're forgetting that you've been harboring private things that are just as bad, if not worse, than the things you criticize. 
Oh, Jesus is saying, don't forget who you are. You are in the original Adam, and the manifestation of original sin has not died in you. Even you who have been born again and been in the church, and you follow Jesus, and you read your word, and you pray, you still harbor sin in your life. Jesus is saying, be careful with that measure you're dishing out, because the same measure you're dishing out is the same measure that could one day come back and get you. I was what, man, I'm preaching today. You're never going to come back, but still, this is good. <laughs> this is good stuff. I was watching, um, I was watching that uh, documentary on Lance Armstrong. Woo! That dude, talk about getting it back. I mean, talk about sowing to the wind and reaping the whirlwind. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, that guy was winning all those Tour de France's, and I'm the greatest thing, and I'm healing everybody of cancer, and I got the yellow bands and all that stuff. I mean, he just sowing lies. He just sowing lies to the wind. He's, and he's looking out at everybody, and he's like, how dare they? And he's sitting on, I mean, he's like God, you know what I mean? And the next thing you know, boom, that whirlwind came back. You sow to the wind of criticism, watch out. You celebrate somebody's spectacular fall. Watch out, because it could come. One way or the other, we're all going to need grace, and we're all going to need somebody to surround us with forgiveness, because none of us are perfect. And when churches or pastors or Christians begin to present themselves as perfect and polished and all together, man, that is a dangerous place to be, is it not? Dangerous place to be. Whole ministries and churches are, are exploded because, because they present themselves as perfect. Let me tell you what a healthy home and church and relationship is. A healthy home, church, and relationship is people who say, I'm not perfect, I'm in need of grace. And today, if I, if I start walking in pride, that's a far fall, man. Pride comes before the fall. Careful with that measure. Don't be so critical. Don't be so critical. Now, of course, we have an objection, see? I mean, we love Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. We love Jesus. Amen. We good? We good with Jesus? It's, good. it's all about Jesus. Crosspoint's all about Jesus. And we love Jesus. But we still, we have to be honest with ourselves. And our honesty is this. Okay, yeah, I get that we're not supposed to be so critical, but surely we're supposed to be a little critical, I mean, don't be so critical. Well, we got to be a little critical, and there has to be some discernment going on. So how do we walk in not being hypercritical, but we still got to evaluate stuff? I mean, how do, we, how do we kind of, how do we get this balance right? And I will say it is a delicate balance. But Jesus alludes to it in one of the greatest illustrations ever in all of the Bible when he says in verse Three, love, oh, this is just so good. Can you believe I get to do this every Sunday? This is so much fun. Verse three, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, this is great. 
First of all, when he talks about a log, imagine a rafter from a home, right? I mean, a big old log. We're talking about a big piece of, big piece of log. You go up into your attic or whatever, you got that rafter, a big old piece of wood, and it's sticking out of your eye, right? And you're sitting there walking around. And of course, you don't realize it, but other people, there are people who do notice the logs in your eyes. You might not know it, but it's probably a blind spot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's a blind spot. Thanks, thanks. So, so you're walking around, and there's people who realize that you got the big log in your eyes, a blind spot. And you're, but you're so focused, and you're like, you're, you're trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, here's the picture. The, the speck is just like sawdust is what he's talking about, and just a little piece of sawdust. And some of you guys are really good at stuff like saw and stuff, and you get the little sawdust and the carpenter, whatever, and this little speck. And a little speck, just you can barely even see a little piece of sawdust if you can, and it's in your brother's eye, and you're like, hey, and here's the picture. You're trying to take out the speck, and you got this log, and you're jacking him up because you're hitting him with the log because you're trying to reach to get the speck out of his eye. Y'all getting a picture? And Jesus is like, you're doing more damage than good when you're focused on other people's minor issues when you're not focused on your major issues. woo Man, he was, Jesus could preach. He, was, he gives us such beautiful words. And this is what we do. You know what, you know what pride does in my, let me just, full confession. What, here's what pride does in my life. I think about my major issues as minor issues, and I think about your minor issues as major issues. That's what human pride always does. Human pride always takes, it was, oh, I got mistakes, but they're not that bad. Now, his mistakes are just, wow, I mean, he needs help. I got to go help him. And you know, Jesus, like, your minor issues are major issues because they're sin issues. And the major issues you're struggling with other people should be minor issues to you because only God can heal them. Here's what you need to do. Work on your own sin. Confess. Be broken before God. Have God heal you. Have God forgive you. Make it about yourself first when it comes to faults and sin. Get the grace that changes your life. And here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is then you can approach your brother rightly and lovingly and with compassion. And you can talk in a way to where your brother or your sister can hear you. And you can say, let me sit down with you and tell you some things about your life. And you'll know who God is calling you to do that for and who he's not calling you to do that for. Jesus is not calling his disciples to not hold each other accountable He's not calling us to not have conversations about conflict. He's not calling us to avoid all conflict. What he's calling us to do is to go into conflict as healers, not judges. As comforters, as restorers. In fact, Jesus talks about confrontation in Matthew chapter 18 when he says, if you have an offense against your brother, go and talk to him by yourself. In Galatians, Paul says to the church, when you go and you see a fault in a brother or a sister, go and talk to them with the goal of restoration. Everybody say restoration. That's a big difference than condemnation. 
There's a big difference between having a heart of condemnation and having a heart of restoration. There's a big difference in saying, I can't wait to show them how I have found them out, to I can't, I hope, Lord, help me be a part. I want this person to be restored. I want them to win. And the only way that we can help our brothers or sisters or our kids or our spouses or our life group people or whatever, the only way we can help them in a gospel way is if we ourselves have recently been broken and comforted by the grace of God. Recently. Only when I'm a beggar Telling another beggar where to get bread. Am I ready? Am I ready to help? Am I ready to minister? Jesus wants his disciples to be ministers in this world. Jesus wants his disciples to be healers. Jesus wants his disciples to be the afflicted who have been healed, who go and heal the afflicted. Can I get an amen? Christians cannot be going out into a fallen culture saying it's us versus them. Christians must be light and salt. We must go out there as healed people who help other people find healing, as found people who find people, as people who have discovered the light, who go into the darkness to help other people discover the light. That is why we exist, and we will always exist for that purpose until Jesus comes back. But you can't do that if you're walking around with with undealt with sin in your life, and you got, you got the big rafter in your eye. You can't do that. you got to get before God. you gotta, you got to humble yourself before God. And the moment you do that, you will begin to have influence. You know what influence is? You know what, inf- you know what the definition of influence is? It is to change people's course. You can change the course of people's lives. You can have influence if you know you are greatly forgiven. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, there's an exception. Look at verse 6. This is interesting. He says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, I'll be honest with you. That, 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 little, that little thing right there, I, I am not totally convinced I understand it. And when a pastor doesn't understand a passage, the goal is not to pretend like I understand something I don't. Here's what I'll say. That I, what most commentaries say about it. Most commentaries say that there are people out there in the world who are not ready or will re- always refuse to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you're out there trying to share it, and when you're out there trying to give it to them, and they show that they are just so absolutely stubborn, then it's time to move on to people that you can minister to. Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus is saying, go make disciples. Go share your faith. Go, go get lost people. Go get unchurched people. Go tell them your story. Tell them what's going on. But if people just refuse, in fact, not only refuse, but they are absolutely hateful towards the idea of the gospel. Don't keep throwing the, the, the pearl of the gospel before the pigs, but you got to move on. Now, 
The, the, the example of this comes from um, Luke chapter 10, verse 11. And here's what Luke chapter 10, verse 11 uh, says. Jesus said to his disciples, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, he told his disciples, go to villages, preach the gospel, tell people about God. But you might come to realize that they are just not going to, to, to believe in it, so move on. Uh, the same thing happened to, uh, uh, to uh, Paul in the book of Acts several times in several places, but one particular place is uh, Acts chapter 18, verses 5 and following. And the only reason I'm kind of under the burden of sharing these verses because I'm trying to understand this part of, of Sermon on the Mount, and this is how I'm understanding it. Acts chapter 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so several places like that in, Paul, in, in the book of Acts. So in the Gospels, the way I understand it is that we have to focus on, on ripe fruit, not unripe fruit, and you got to keep preaching the gospel, but there are some people that we just, it's just not going to work. Now, how we discern that is what we're about to get to, but you have to be very careful. I just, everybody say careful. You just got to be really careful because it really has to be obvious. I, I haven't run into too many people that I've been like, man, I just can't share the gospel with them anymore. You know, like th that hasn't happened to me maybe once or twice since I've been a believer. But I do think that there are people that you just got to move on from, you know, because there's so many people and God has the elect. We got to go find the elect and bring them in and call them to believe in Jesus Christ. And so I think that's what Jesus is saying. Now, let's say, man, this is just don't be so critical, but be a little critical. You know, like this is confusing. Don't be. Don't be so critical, but i got to be a little critical. I mean, there's the speck and the log and the dogs and the pigs and the... Don't be so critical, but be a little critical. How do I get this right? I mean, how do, from a day-to-day -day experience, how do I get this right? And Jesus takes us to the secret. You want to know what the secret is? Prayer. Prayer. Look at what he says in verse 7. See, I thought this was about me getting a bigger house or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anybody ever believe that? Like, I'm going to get a bigger house if I ask, seek, and knock. All right, here we go. <laughs> he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Husbands and wives and parents and church members workers, co-workers, going into that toxic environment at work, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened to him. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What's the good things? The good things is a heart of forgiveness. The good things is not being so critical. The good things is when we're so eaten up, we're like, I, don't, I just can't get over what she said to me a month ago. I just, I can't do it. Or, the, or how do I know? Should I keep sharing the gospel with my brother? Or should I just lay off? I mean, is he, is he a pig and a dog? And I, can't, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. And Jesus is saying, that's what you're asking for. That's what you're knocking on the door with. James says you don't have wisdom because you don't ask for it. You don't ask for it. You don't get in the presence of your heavenly father and say, help me. I'm not strong. I'm weak. I don't know how to walk in forgiveness. I don't know how to not be self-righteous. I don't, I don't know how to feel superior against everybody else. I don't know how to not focus on my husband's problems. I don't know how to not focus on my wife's problems. I don't know how to parent without being like a dictator as opposed to a father. I don't know how to walk in my church and not be critical of this or that or them or that. It's it, uh, but, look, but I don't know. And Jesus is saying, go to your heavenly father and ask him to help you. And he will. He won't give you a stone. He'll give you food. He will help you nourish on his goodness so that you'll begin to release your resentment. You'll begin to release your bitterness. You'll begin to release your criticism. And then the Holy Spirit will show you who you need to talk to in a loving, gracious way, who to heal, who to minister to. Prayer. Isn't that fantastic? If you read the Sermon on... See, people read the Sermon on the Mount, they're like, it's just all morality. It's just all like, like I don't see any grace in it. I just see like, I see just see religious works in the Sermon on the Mount. He's so strict. But do you see what Jesus is doing? He's offering us a righteousness greater than the Pharisees, but he's offering us a power greater than religion. And the power that's greater than religion that can give you a righteousness greater than Pharisees is a relationship with your heavenly Father. Not about religion, it's about relationship. Not about your strength, it's about his. Not about, and so at critical moments in the Sermon on the Mount, he keeps coming back to prayer. He did it in chapter 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors against us. And then here in chapter 7, he's saying, yeah, man, you're not to be hypercritical. Oh, go to your heavenly father and talk to him. It will heal you. It, you will be surprised at the wisdom that will come in the presence of your heavenly father. It comes back to those brief, frequent, and intense prayers. Brief, well, that's a secret to life. Brief, Frequent, intense prayers. That's the secret. When I'm not lifting up brief, frequent, intense prayers, guess who gets hypercritical? Ding, 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 ding. You know what I mean? Big red circle with a line through it. That's me. Stay away. He's not been praying. <laughs> you know what I mean? But man, when I'm in my Father's presence, 
which is what Jesus has given me the right to do. Jesus died to give me the right to be in my Father's presence, to be adopted into his family, so that the Spirit cries out, my Spirit, Abba, Father, the Spirit that cries out that I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm a child of God. And man, that gives me a lot of grace. Because it's in that presence that I realize I'm getting a lot more than I deserved and a lot more than I earned. Ask, seek, knock. His final application is verse 12. Man, this passage. Is this this not one of your favorite passages? I love this passage. He says in verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, do you see? You're not ready for the golden rule. You are not ready for the golden rule if you are not shaped by forgiveness and grace. Because here's the truth. The truth is sometimes I can be mean to myself. How many of y'all mean to yourself? You're just self-critical. I'm just, I just can't believe it. And what happens to me is I, I want to stop focusing on my own problems. And so then I'm like, well, I'm not going to criticize myself anymore. I'm going to criticize him. And I start treating them like I treat myself. So it makes no sense to walk by the golden rule if you're not saved and then walking in the gospel of grace and forgiveness because you're not going to walk in it right. But now that you are in your Father's presence, now that you've asked, uh, sought, and, and, and knocked like a child of the Heavenly Father, I get that we got to be men out there and we got to go out and work, but in our presence of our Father, we're children saved by grace. Then we are able to treat others the way we would want to be treated in a right way. Then we're ready to walk in the golden rule. The golden rule does not work with religion. It only works with the gospel. Can I get an Amen. See, you got to have the whole context, man. Let's not be walking around saying, well, I'm just going to treat other people the way I would want to be treated. Man, you better have the mentality of Jesus' righteousness covering you. Then you can walk in the golden rule. Then you can walk in the golden rule. I'll just close with this. Don't be so critical. Be a little critical, but not so critical. I don't think, here's what I don't think. I don't think Jesus is telling us, hey, focus on whether you're critical or not today. I think what Jesus wants us to focus on is getting in the presence of the goodness of our Heavenly Father. To imagine a life where we are being shaped by the love of our Heavenly Father and letting that love guide us. John says, you love because He first loved you. Being shaped by the love. You know, joy does not come from happiness in life. Joy comes from the holiness of God's presence. And when we say, God, help me to be in your presence. Help me to receive. Help me to focus on your sufficiency and your supremacy. The fact that you're on the throne and the fact that you give me more than enough to get through this day. Even a day of of small things, you are still a big God. Even the day when there's no miracles, you're still the message of my heart. Even the day when, when things are so ordinary, you're still an extraordinary presence in my life by the Holy Spirit. 
And when you can focus and imagine a daily walk with this extraordinary God in ordinary days, on the day of small things, and you will be shaped naturally by the golden rule. You'll be shaped naturally by ask, seek, knock. You'll be shaped naturally by a life that's not critical. So I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, imagine a life where you're always thinking about whether you're critical or not. I think what he's saying is, keep getting in the presence of the goodness of your Father, and you'll be all right, because he's a good Father. And he's given us his son and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, help me to not be so critical. At the end of the day, help me to do this not because I just want to feel better. Help me to do this by putting me flat in your presence receiving from you your love. Help me to be shaped by this gospel, this grace, grace that doesn't call sin good, but calls sin terrible. Grace that led your son to die for sin, that sin is so terrible, so evil, that your son would have to die for it. And yet in dying for sins, Your son showed us your love for us. All of us struggle with criticism, Lord, in one way or the other. Heal us. But ultimately, may you reveal to our hearts the light of the knowledge of the goodness of Jesus Christ. May you not only cause us to be born again by the gospel, but help us to be sanctified by the gospel. God, we give you these moments and we pray that these brief moments in our church together would lead to large moments of walking in your light every single day of our life. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.